Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to episode eight of the Gen Z GOP podcast. Joining me is only Mike today. Uh, John could not make it to this episode, but we are moving forward without his uh, presence here today. We miss you, John. So today we're going to be talking about civics and the need for civics education in our country. And the rise of this need of, you know, a strong civics education in young Americans' lives has been especially present in recent months and years as polarization has grown and more Americans are coming to the table to talk about these issues, yet we're not as informed about so many of these essential components to good dialogue and good conversations about our government, because how can we really talk about the system that's before us if we don't understand the origins of such system? So, Mike, I know you saw a little tweet this week that kind of made you think more about this issue and made you reflect on the need for civics education. Yeah, so last week's episode was about the federal deficit, very policy wonk episode that I usually like to run. And it's important, but when we were thinking about the topic for this week's episode, which was going to be more cultural based, I came across this tweet that really sparked the idea. And it's it's not from anyone that's respectable, but... I think the content here is indicative of why we're talking about this. It says, in response to one of our tweets promoting the federal deficit episode, it says, our cities are on fire and you're worried about the deficit, LMAO. So I stopped for a second and I thought, okay, well, yes, obviously the riots and the violence is a very big problem in this country. It's indicative of the polarization that we're going through, just a level of lack of mutual respect, whereas... The deficit might be something that's a little bit more wonky and not as deeply rooted or felt right now in the here and now. But it made me wonder why someone would say that. And I think it's because, like we said on the deficit episode, it's not something that's as understandable, whereas this rioting and this violence is very much on your TV or in your streets. And you see that and it's very scary and problematic. But what's not as clear is the underlying cause for some of this. And obviously, there are a lot of reasons that are driving these acts of violence, whether it be racial injustice or responses to that or a lack of coming to the table and discussing issues in a productive way. But I think what the key problem here comes down to civics. And we talk about politics and the policy issues. Those are the topsoil. Those are things that are debated in the Senate and government and trying to craft solutions to fixing our problems in terms of government, policy, the economy, whatnot. But civics is much more deep rooted. That's how we engage as citizens in our country. Politics is just the tip of the iceberg. So when I saw this, I saw a difference between the politics and the civics, the culture, the underlying foundation. But I think both are important because you can't have the policy without the civics. So today, we want to talk about civics education as kind of a prerequisite, a way that we can help inform our democracy to make citizens more productive and engaged. So when we think about civics today, I want people to understand that this is important for the survival of our democracy for any policy solutions going forward. Because if we can't engage on the issues in productive ways, we're never going to fix anything. I think it's an issue. And when we look at civics education across the country currently, only nine states and the District of Columbia have a required whole year civics education, just one year across, you know, a child's education. And that's concerning, especially to someone like me, who was in one of those states, I was in Virginia, 
uh, and took civics education. And I know as someone who's already politically engaged when I took the class, it bettered my knowledge, even as someone who knew a lot about the structure of our government. And I still can remember many years ago taking that class and knowing that there's, you know, three different levels of government and then three different branches of the federal government and knowing that, you know, there's courts at a state level and at a federal level and just all these basic things that I kind of take for granted in my knowledge that maybe these 41 other states don't have. Uh, Mike, I know you did a lot with civics education in Massachusetts, and I'm sure have an anecdote or two about the process of getting more civics education in the Commonwealth. Yeah, during my time as the chair of the Teenage Republicans in Massachusetts, 2017 to 2018, our main focus since the time was not an election year, most of the year, was to work on legislation. And I came to the conclusion that this civics education bill was something that I should be focusing on. And we did this in partnership with the high school Democrats because civics is not a partisan issue and the lack of civics creates hyperpartisanship. So what, what ended up being passed was in, in a nutshell is a bill that promotes and requires in our in Massachusetts public schools, a civics project once in high school and also once in middle school. And there's actually a heavy emphasis on eighth grade. And the reason I was very supportive of this approach is because I think there's a huge difference between learning civics knowledge and how the government works and actually implementing that, having those skills in the agency to go out in the public and be an active citizen. So I can cite a stat here, like you already mentioned one, that in 2016, only 26% of Americans could name all three branches of the government. And obviously that in itself is problematic, like not knowing how the system works, not knowing how politics is supposed to benefit society, that's a problem in one sense, like you don't know the textbook knowledge. And that could be solved by having civics courses, like you mentioned, but it goes deeper than that. It doesn't really mean much to know about it. That's a step one. It matters much more about what you do with it and learning those skills experientially. So the project component was created so that students could Number one, learn about civics and then learn how to engage in a productive way. So maybe they write a letter to their state rep, a very easy thing, or they go volunteer at some political or non-political event to be an active citizen in the community. And even more so than that, having debates and conversations about the political issues of the day in nuanced and constructive ways. So this bill, which is now implemented into law and still kind of working the kinks out, is something that I'm very supportive of and I think a lot of other states should adopt. Because students can learn about stuff and it goes out the window and they just don't really care about it. But I think, and this applies to learning in more ways, a lot of times you learn a lot more, for example, when you're writing a paper on a topic than taking a test. You cram and you learn it, study, take it, you're done. But when you actually can apply that in your everyday life, you, you kind of get this level of appreciation for it and you learn better ways to go about that, especially in eighth grade before kids are really getting engaged in politics to introduce them to what the issues are and how to debate them, I think that's going to go a lot further than just how government works. Because a big problem in society today, it's not just a lack of knowledge about how government works, it's a lack of experience with engaging on these issues in productive and respectful manners. Mike, I want to reiterate a point you made. And it's this like notion that you can know some of these basic facts, and you still don't really understand how the government operates or how the government was formed under kind of 
the founding fathers uh, vision. And I think that's vital. I think sometimes people get that from a history class or maybe it'd be a civics class, but understanding the intent of the founding fathers is huge. Like understanding that there's a separation of church and state because of their experiences with the church of England. Like that's good knowledge to have because it provides some basis for why, you know, the constitution declaration of independence and all our founding documents were created the way they were. It's also important for us to kind of monitor that involvement of some of these like documents and how it's perceived in the sense of when any good civics class, you're going to examine, you know, a couple Supreme Court rulings. You're going to examine how public opinion on an issue has changed over time because there's no doubt that our country has made good progress, yet we still have an incredible constitution to look back on. And I think just examining like the constitution for a couple of days in a civics class can be vital to someone's understanding of, you know, our political system and our government. So just having a strong civics education is not only knowing the facts, but being able to dive in and then look at today's modern issues and really dissect them and really understand why some Americans may feel a certain way and why other Americans may feel differently. And I think that could be helpful, especially as, you know, as that one tweet pointed out, there's violence across our cities, but that doesn't happen because we have a strong civics education. If anything, it's because people are misinformed. um, They're more vitriol about the topics and we're not coming to the table and actually engaging in conversation over, you know, reform or policy or talking about why things may not be the way they are, but it's rather we've kind of boiled up as a nation and ignored so many of these important issues. I think the crux of the issue here, like you said, and I was touching on earlier, is less about the knowledge and more about the agency and the applied skills. Because if we can actually teach, and I don't mean teach like, here's the topic, learn it, but teach by example and by experience how we should go about debating issues, whether it's in class, you're encouraging students to do this on their own time with their fellow classmates, or going out in the community and maybe going to a protest, but in a peaceful way, or going to uh, a bill signing ceremony, or going to a community event. That's how we're going to teach this appreciation, number one, of civic engagement, number two, productive ways to do this. So I think we need to reframe how we think about civics education is less about This is what America stands for. These are our principles and more about showing, demonstrating why these principles are important. Because when we lose sight of these principles, as it seems the country is doing today, look at what happens in our cities. Look at what happens on social media. And social media can be a great tool for promoting civic engagement. It can also be an awful tool for doing so. It's counterproductive because it pushes polarization to the extremes. And there's a lot of data today that shows that people only interact with people that agree with them more and more. And if we don't start emphasizing in our schools and our education system what it means to be, number one, an informed voter, but also, number two, productive citizen, we're going to continue seeing these trends of polarization and bad policymaking. So I think we need to think of ways to have students realize the importance of this, realize the importance of getting involved. But like I said, and I'll keep hammering this home, it's all about how to have these conversations, not make it personal, how to see eye to eye on certain things, but not on everything, and how we can come to the table in the end. Because that's a skill that is important for life. 
if we don't start emphasizing these things now, and this seems like a common theme at Gen Z GOP, it's a reason we want to engage Gen Z voters, it's just going to be more problematic in the future. So Ryan, do you have any thoughts on how we can start creating appreciation for discourse, and especially productive discourse among students so that they can fully appreciate not just agreeing with people on things and going to events when everyone there agrees on a policy topic, but also the benefit of disagreement in our system. Absolutely. And I'm going to give a little plug out here to John Olds' uh, state representative, Lenny Mira, because I think as a state representative, a Republican state representative in a very, you know, somewhat of a very blue state of Massachusetts, he did something unthinkable. And after uh, the Parkland shooting, as a very strong supporter of the Second Amendment, he, he kind of went to the table and met with many different people in the community, whether it be students, concerned parents, concerned gun owners. And he said, we have this issue before us. How do we strengthen the confidence in one another? How do we get to the bottom of this? And most of all, how do I, as like a state representative, you know, engage in this issue that protects the rights of the Second Amendment and also protects, you know, student safety? And they engage in this conversation and remains ongoing. And it's incredible to see just one small example in a small community of how people are able to kind of talk about an issue that's very national, but bring it closer to home and most of all, humanize one another. I think it's easy in a lot of today's debates to be like, oh, that person's very violent because of their beliefs or that person uh, isn't American. Their beliefs are un-American and that's the wrong approach. In all honesty, I think we need more conversation because I think more conversation will allow people to kind of realize that, yeah, people's differences, you know, may be stark, but they're not the end all be all to whether or not we're Americans or we're good people. I think people maybe have a different approach. And by sitting down at the table like that state representative, state representative did, he inherently made a lot of progress with people understanding where other people are coming from. And most of all, reminding ourselves that you know, our neighbors are still our neighbors. They're not our political enemies. And, you know, our political opponents are also not our political enemies. Ryan, that reminded me of this quote I was reading from an Atlantic article. It's from 2016, but I think it's indicative of the issue here. And it says, the facile dismissal of all Trump enthusiasts as bigots or ignorant news speaks to the most urgent problem in American civic life the inability to communicate with people who do not share the same opinion. And now, I'll acknowledge there are some Trump supporters who I think have perverse ideologies. There, there's some, but you can't just totally broad stroke the entire base that Trump has as these bigots. And I think a lot of people do that. And I think people on the right try to broad stroke people on the left as these like wackadoodle socialists. And not to bring up Ben Sass's book again, Them, but I think it's really crucial here to understand this anti-tribe situation. He talks a lot about how people lack these positive social bonds, so they bond together by opposing other people. And I think we have a problem with that today. And I think what civics starts with, and a lot of people talk about this, is that we need to first recognize what we have in common. And one of those is that we're all Americans. We need to see past these issues and first acknowledge that we all have an agreement on what this country should be to an extent that should be free and open discourse that we should preserve liberty that we should try to pursue policies and solutions 
that preserve the pursuit of happiness for every American. When we start to make policy disagreements become the end-all be-all of our relationships, our connections with each other, we see this polarization increase and increase. You touch on a really good point that our civil discourse and our communications with one another have an increased role in our personal lives compared to, you know, former generations. Now with social media and the increased vitriol in our society, our words and our actions have like severe consequences. So I wanted to kind of touch on a different aspect of this conversation around uh, civic education that I think will relate back to your point. And I think it's been, you know, heightened in recent days and weeks around the Supreme Court. And I think a lot of Americans look at the Supreme Court and say, wow, this, this huge body is this really important thing. And yet only 52% of Americans can even name one justice. And that's kind of surprising after, you know, the pop culture sensation of Ruth Bader Ginsburg being on SNL and so on. So this very important body, but people's knowledge about not knowing who runs their government extends to, you know, the vice presidency and your senator and your representative in Congress. And then I don't even want to talk about state and local officials, but, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to even imagine that people do not know their elected officials because there's less accountability, but less about that point. And I want to transition more again to the Supreme court. And there was a Quinnipiac survey done in 2018 And it said over 70% of young adults believe the Supreme Court is motivated by politics and not law. And I think it's easy to say, yeah, that's true. You know, screw the Supreme Court, you know, and blame Congress's issues on the court. And I think that's just another effect of poor civics education. Because if you have a background in, you know, civics and some education around how our government operates, it's clearly define that as much as you may disagree with the court or its rulings, it's very motivated by law. It's not politics. It's not this partisan bickering that we so often see. Uh, Yes, maybe Congress has made the Supreme Court a little more political in recent years, but their rulings are still by law. And Mike, I wanted to know if you think that, you know, with more civics education, this number of 70% of young Americans believe that the Supreme Court is motivated by politics, not law, would go down, or what you kind of see as the root cause of this? Not sure if that's exactly tied to civics. I think people think that because Congress has abdicated its responsibility to the point where liberal justices feel that they kind of have a moral quandary between interpreting the law for what it is as more textualists, which I think we would be, and the implications of something. Like, for example, if you take this upcoming Obamacare ruling, even if the justices were to look at the text of the law and find it unconstitutional. They have this moral dilemma where kicking millions of Americans off their insurance in the middle of a pandemic seems like an immoral thing to do. Whereas it's up to Congress to fix the inadequacies of the law, some of the kinks. So I think that's kind of what's driving this perception that the Supreme Court is so political. I would also talk about DACA and I will come out and say I'm supportive of something of that sort, but I don't think that the Supreme Court should be the one that's upholding it. I don't think that doing that by executive order was constitutional either. But Congress has abdicated that responsibility for almost 20 years now. I think the DREAM Act came out in 2001. So I think that's more of a recognition that 
Congress is totally inept on certain issue areas and that that's why the Supreme Court has to come in and, uh, at least for the liberal justices, legislate from the bench. But I think what civics would do is try to engage people in the public to force Congress to be more responsive to people's needs. If a lot more members of Congress were pressured into actually supporting bills and passing legislation that people cared about as a result of people being more engaged, if our voter turnout was actually higher, then I think that would change the perception that way because I think Congress would actually have to fulfill its responsibility more. But I'm not sure if increased civics education would alter perceptions. I think that's just a perception of reality right now that the Supreme Court inherently is so political because of the failure of Congress. Well, it's interesting that you note on that point. And I think that's that was kind of my general point by making asking you that question was, you know, Congress isn't getting its job done. So much of Congress is a show. So much of Congress is a game for media highlights and, you know, what will go viral on social media, mainly because I think there's this poor rhetoric that has kind of dominated our system. And so it's kind of shocking to kind of look at it now where the Supreme Court, which is completely disconnected from the public eye, it's it's not it's not elected. It's not on social media. They don't, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Scalia or none of them had a Twitter account. None of the current Supreme Court justices have a Twitter account. They're not looking for those highlights yet. They're still very much impacted by that. And I see that root cause as still very much the issues in Congress. And it creates this dilemma where some of our lack of civics education has kind of resulted in these unintentional consequences. So that was more of the point I was getting at. I want to also, you know, transition back to what you were saying and kind of gauge what you think, uh, you know, reflecting on your experiences in Massachusetts, what we could do to increase civics education. What can we do at a local level? What can we do at a state level? Maybe even a national level, as much as I want to keep, you know, education away from the federal government. But what can we do to kind of encourage civics education and encourage good discourse around politics and government? Aside from the formal avenues. What we can do is as young people, and I think this is part of what Gen Z GOP is doing, is engaging our fellow classmates and peers in the topic of politics and trying to highlight the importance. And I think there is a lot of enthusiasm for this election in terms of youth turnout for voting or in some form of political engagement, mobilizing voters for the election. That's in one sense a good thing. I think we should be encouraging that. But at the same time, what I've seen in terms of this youth mobilization is very hyper-partisan. Obviously, an election is going to be partisan. So I think we're making progress on that one side, but we're not making progress on the discourse side. So I think what we can do is just try to take a step back and engage our peers constructively and say, why are you saying these things? Like, have you thought about this? Or why are you believing this? But don't do it in a demonizing way. And and what comes to mind is, seeing the plethora of just Instagram stories nonstop about politics that lack any nuance. And it's just so dehumanizing of certain sides, both left and right, but mostly on the left because of our generation's tilt. In one sense, you can let it go on and say, great, people are getting involved. It's better than not. Well, I don't know if it's better than not saying anything because I think the polarization can drive the country even further apart. But I think what we need to do is emphasize 
as much as you can in a pandemic, in-person conversation, face-to-face, one-on-one, not this mob mentality on social media where you're tweeting out at people, you're going on Facebook rants and trying to see the human first and trying to see why they disagree. Like what if your background, what of your values, why do you have this position on that? And I think when we can try to see the commonalities that we have, we can start to deconstruct why we have these disagreements. So I think what I would emphasize here is why it's great that we're mobilizing and that the youth turnout is going to be high. I think that we need to start kind of going down to the local level, the personal level to see how we can have conversations that are productive. And I think that social media is actually counterproductive to doing that. Mike, I love the fact that you made that point about the local level and getting involved, like just in local conversations. And I think you made unintentionally a great point that so much when when i when we say like get involved in politics we're not talking about national politics don't go work for a presidential campaign i think what we're saying is also like look at your town councilors look at your town selectmen look at whatever your town has as a local government your town mayor whatever or city mayor whatever it may be get involved there that's where you're actually going to be able to make a difference i know i got involved at the local level originally and i think that's made all the difference because I haven't gone around looking at my opponents and people I disagree with as, you know, these elitists on the East Coast or on the West Coast or somewhere far away from me. I, I kind of view them as my neighbors. And that's incredibly monumental to someone who's kind of getting involved in trying to formulate their opinions and find where their values lie. Because when we acknowledge that people living next to us in very similar circumstances as us disagree i think that's that creates that fabric in a community of political disagreements but coming to the table and talking about them and discussing issues that really hit home because they are here at home so getting involved at the local level is so much more important than just being one of a couple tens of thousands of volunteers on like a presidential campaign or on a senate campaign yeah it's important yeah they make your decisions but more importantly i think you can have more of an impact and really learn how to partake in our civil discourse and our civic fabric as a nation and as, you know, in your state and in your community better when you engage in local politics and have those conversations more locally before, you know, graduating and going up to a more senior level where the conversations get tougher and more polarizing. I think getting involved in local politics is really a good first step because I think at least from my experience, when you're knocking doors, making calls, or just debating the issues for a state rep race, for example, there's always a lot more emphasis on what the actual issues are and that community engagement. And you might knock on the door of someone that you know, and it's a neighbor or friend. And even if they disagree with you, there's still that shared connection that we've been talking about. But it is also important to be involved in national politics. But I think getting started on the local level kind of gives us an appreciation for what politics is meant for. What we're trying to do at Gen Z GOP is to encourage engagement at all levels of government, but it needs to come from a level of appreciation for the other side, for another person, for disagreements. So one of our key missions here is to try to provide an example of that. How can we engage in discourse that doesn't just agree with everything everyone else says, but that we can acknowledge disagreements, provide counterfactuals, why we don't believe with that here, what the facts say, here are our values. And but here's why we still respect you for who you are. Because if we lose that level of respect, we lose our republic. Because this republic is founded on the idea 
We've talked about this, I think, in episode two, that we can have disagreements and come to the table and debate the merits of the points. That's what this is all about. So if we don't teach our younger generations about the importance of civics, the importance of engagement, of being as citizens, then we're going to lose what this country even stands for in the first place. And on the top level, we're going to have bad policy. And when we look to you know, solutions to this. It's bipartisan. They want civics education. They want more of it. They want better civics education and they want people to get involved. Look in 2019 in Congress, the USA Civics Act of 2019, it was written by Senator uh, John Cornyn of Texas, who's also the whip uh, for the Republicans. It was co-sponsored by Elizabeth Warren, who's arguably one of the more progressive senators out there. And so this issue is not constrained to left or right. If anything, it's encouraging people to kind of cross the aisle and work together on these important issues, talking about how we can better engage on these issues, and most of all, making a meaningful change in our country for the better. Essentially, by encouraging civics education, this is how we make the meaningful change that will bring our country back together. No longer are we, you know, on Facebook fighting each other. If we know about these issues and know about why we perceive them differently and why our government is the way it is, and if there is a change that's needed, most of us will be able to come to the table and say, hey, this is how we're going to do it in a meaningful way. That is what's going to, in the long run, help our country by engaging in these conversations. And I cannot repeat the same point enough. It's these conversations that we're having. Everyone should have them. You know, we shouldn't go into election season only talking to the people we agree with, because ultimately that's not going to help any of us as Americans. We need to engage in these conversations. And the only way to do that is through comprehensive civics education. And I look forward to, you know, advocating for more civics education on a local, state, and national level. And I hope everyone listening does too. This is not an issue that is constrained to left or right. It's not an issue that's constrained to where you live or if you're at a regular high school or a Votech school or whatever it may be, everyone should have this access to an understanding of why our government is the way it is. And that's essential as Americans and as citizens. So I think how we can wrap up this argument is with a quote from the Sam Atlantic piece that I cited earlier. And it says, public schools aren't merely expected to teach young people the mechanics of government, how a bill is signed into law, what the Supreme Court does, and so on. They're also responsible for teaching the skills and habits of democratic life, especially how to engage civilly with people from a different political camp. So the takeaway from this episode should be that if we are going to get anything done in this country in the future, It's not just about the politics and the debating the bills on the Senate floor. It's the conversations that go on outside of a high school classroom or at the door when you're trying to push someone to vote for another candidate. That's what really matters. That is the basis of American political life. It's not the topsoil politics. It's the sediment underneath, and that's civics. That's seeing your neighbor, your classmate, as another fellow American that equally wants to make this country a great place to live for them and their family. If we continue to lose sight of what makes us the same, then we're never going to be able to debate why we differ. Like Mike and I have talked about, this is an important issue. This isn't an issue that's important today and not going to be important tomorrow. It's going to be important next week and the year after. If we don't start making a difference on civics education, 
we're going to continue seeing the ramifications of an uneducated public and a misinformed public for generations to come. Right now, we have an opportunity to make a change and to make sure that people not only understand how their government is run, but why it's run that way. It's taking that next step, knowing that, you know, there's a difference between local, state, and federal government, and knowing that that was very intentionally done by the Founding Fathers. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. I know it's different not having John here, but we're excited for John to be back next week with a very exciting guest episode. In the meantime, make sure you share the podcast with family and friends, share it on social media. And while you're on social media, make sure to like our pages on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, And if you're interested, make sure to sign up on our website, genzgop.org. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate you listening. Have a great Monday and have a great rest of your week.